We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MBW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in. But why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parm. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. Welcome to Henry's Guys, presented by Comer Heating and Air, Southern Air Conditioning and Heating. It is, uh, as we record this, Thursday uh, June the 9th, you'll hear this as the Oxford Exxon podcast on Friday, June the 10th. Ole Miss and Southern Miss Super Regional begins on uh, Saturday the 11th. Chase Parham will talk to Carl Lafferty, the Ole Miss baseball assistant, about that series, about this team, about the run they've had here late in the year. And then uh, I will talk about, uh, <clears throat> with Trey Wallace of Outkick.com, we'll talk about the uh, five SEC-affiliated Super Regionals and uh, also some SEC football and SEC just expansion talk, that kind of thing. Uh, Trey was in Destin for SEC spring meetings, so uh, he and I will talk about that and uh, more. So it's about a, with you for about an hour or so on this show. Hope you guys have a great weekend. Here's the plan for uh, whether it's Sunday or Monday. If Ole Miss wins its Super Regional, uh, when it clinches, we'll have a hand raise, guys. Uh, immediately following that game, it'll be me for uh, the the first part. I'll take calls. We'll talk about what's happened, that kind of thing. And then uh, when Chase gets done with his work and gets to a place where he has Wi-Fi, he'll join in. We'll talk about the um, the Super Regional, where things go from there, all of those things. That's if Ole Miss wins uh, game two on whether it's Sunday or Monday, whenever that happens. If, if that happens, we'll have a uh, show for you immediately following the conclusion of that game. So uh, this show brought to you by Comer Heating and Air, Southern Air Conditioning and Heating, same great names. I mean, different names, but same great services, same great products. If you're in the Oxford area, Tupelo area, call Comer, 662-801-1777. If you're in uh, Memphis, DeSoto County, Hernando, South Haven, that area, get in touch with the people at Southern, 662-429-4429. Again, different names, but the same products, the same people, the same great service. They'll take great care of you. Obviously, the heat is uh, getting closer and closer to that stifling heat that you want that air conditioner to be running on tip-top shape. If you haven't had yours checked out just yet, if you need 
work, if you need a new unit, if you need it topped off with Freon, whatever the case may be, get in touch with Comer, get in touch with Southern. We would appreciate it. I'm coming to you from the Clark Ford Studios, Clark Ford's in Amory, Mississippi. 662-257-1900. Call that number. Ask for Corey Clark. Tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He will send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. Right to the bottom line. No hassle, no haggle. You get your quote. The rest completely up to you. You can shop that quote around or you can do what I've done. What I recommend that you do, and that's hop into a Clark Ford today, 662-257-1900. Carl Lafferty, Trey Wallace, join on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. Rafters Music and Food on the Square in Oxford. It's a great place to uh, go enjoy a burger, a po'boy, appetizers. they got a great beer selection, full bar and more. Maybe you're sitting uh, in Oxford watching the games over the weekend, whether it's the Ole Miss USM series or some of the other series, whatever the case may be, hang out at Rafters. Don't forget there's also Rafters in New Albany, and there's Rafters on the water at Sardis. That's opened up uh, here last week, so you can go out and enjoy that. Margaritas, beer, and more at Rafters on the water. So uh, all the series get started this weekend. Some of them get started on Friday. Four get started on Friday. Four get started on Saturday. Uh, nobody know, Nobody wants to know my thoughts on it, but I'll give you my predictions. We were going to do this this morning uh, on the Oxford Exxon podcast, but we didn't get around to it. So I've got Tennessee beating Notre Dame in three. Tennessee's been the best team in the country uh, all season. Notre Dame's pretty interesting. Link Jarrett's done a great job at Notre Dame. I don't think the Irish will be intimidated of the Vols, so that's got a chance to be an interesting series. I'd love to see a third game just to see what Tennessee – looks like under pressure they haven't had pressure all season uh texas is at east carolina cliff godwin the former Ole miss assistant trying to get his alma mater east carolina to uh, omaha for the first time this is a really really interesting series east carolina is a very good team at home texas is a very talented team i'm going to take texas in three and hope that i'm wrong certainly cheering for uh, the pirates there but I'm going to go with the Horns. Louisville at Texas A&M. Jim Schlossnagel's done a great job in year one at Texas A&M. But I think Mike McDonald gets Louisville back to Omaha. I think Louisville wins in three games in College Station. That's my pick there. Another super interesting super regional. Uh, Oklahoma, after winning in Gainesville, uh, they play Virginia Tech in Blacksburg. I'm going to go with Virginia Tech here, but I won't be surprised if I'm wrong. I'll say Virginia Tech in three, but Oklahoma's been impressive uh, late in the season. That's an interesting series to watch. Uh, Connecticut, one of maybe the surprise team in the regional, uh, is at Stanford. Stanford um, had a fascinating end to its uh, regional against Texas State. I think Stanford goes to Omaha. I think they go easily. I'll take Stanford in a sweep over UConn. Uh, Arkansas, which bounced back from a disappointing loss on Sunday to come back and win a game on Monday at Oklahoma State in a rabid environment. They go to North Carolina. The uh, Tar Heels came out of the loser's bracket to win the regional in Chapel Hill. I know Chase is picking North Carolina here. I'm going to go with Arkansas in three. I think Arkansas is one of those teams that kind of found new life late, a lot like Ole Miss. And um, I'll say Arkansas gets to Omaha, winning in three games in Chapel Hill. Speaking of Ole Miss, the Rebels are at Southern Miss. Obviously, we've talked a lot about it this week, this 
throughout this week. We'll talk a lot about it uh, this weekend. And again, next week, Chase will be down in Hattiesburg this weekend to cover the Super Regional starting on Saturday afternoon, 3 p.m. on Saturday, 3 p.m. on Sunday to be announced on Monday if necessary. Um, I'm going with Ole Miss in three. And I won't be surprised if it's Ole Miss in two. Frankly, I'll be surprised if Ole Miss loses the series. I know a lot of people at D1 Baseball and stuff are picking Southern Miss. I just think everything points to Ole Miss in that series. I'll say Rebels in three. And then the final series to talk about, Auburn is at Oregon State. Auburn's had a fantastic season under Butch Thompson. Oregon State may be the second-best team in the country behind uh, Tennessee. Uh, This series in Corvallis starting on Saturday night. Late, I will go Beavers in a sweep. Oregon State sweeps Auburn in the uh, Corvallis Super Regional. So you have my picks. If you're betting, pick against those teams, and you're uh, you're all good. Um, all right, so we're going to get to uh, Chase. We're going to get to uh, his interview with Carl Lafferty here in just a minute. He spoke to him for about a half an hour uh, earlier on Thursday. I'll tell you real quick. I want to run through a few of these just fast. People that make these shows possible for us, uh, Holcomb Portable Buildings. I should say Holcomb Portable Buildings. HawkhamPartableBuildings.com. You can also find them on Facebook or Instagram at Hawkham Partable, Portable Buildings. Father's Day is almost here. Dead Soxy has a perfect gift for you. Uh, Dead Soxy Socks, 35% off by using the promo code REBELGROVE at uh, DeadSoxy.com. I'll have 10 weekend thoughts late this weekend, probably early next week. Actually, they're brought to you by Game Changer Patches, the only two-patch system available in the market to stop hangovers before they start. Go to GameChangerPatch.com, enter the promo code REBELGROVE20 at checkout for 20% off your purchase. Uh, Automation and Control Systems, LLC, based out of Baldwin, Mississippi. It's a complete electrical control system solution provider and a Rockwell Automation Recognized System Integrator. To learn more, go to ACSLLCMS.com or call 662-601-4381. Lamons Fine Jewelry is at 1126 North Lamar Boulevard in Oxford. Check them out at LamonsFineJewelry.com or call them at 662-234-2777. If we have a hand raise, guys, on Sunday or Monday, it's brought to you by the College Corner, your one-stop rebel shop, two locations in the Jackson area. You can also go to CollegeCornerStore.com. If Ole Miss wins the Super Regional, they will have College World Series Ole Miss branded gear available immediately for you to order at collegecornerstore.com. Martin Palomo and I recorded a episode of Mind on My Money presented by Pinnacle. You can check that out on this podcast feed. It's uh, mypinwealth.com, M-Y-P-I-N-N wealth.com. John Edwards of Regency Travel Incorporated in Memphis is the guy to go to if you want to make a trip that creates a lifetime of unique memories. Get in touch with him. Give him some parameters. Give him a budget, 901-494-3387 or Edwards at regencytravel.net. And if you're coming to Oxford, don't forget, try out OPA, Oxford's newest restaurant on the square, 306 South Lamar, just south of the square courthouse in Oxford. If you're in the market for a Nissan vehicle, get in touch with Grenada Nissan. It's GrenadaNissanUSA.com, just off Interstate 55. In Grenada, Mississippi, a complete selection of new and previously owned Nissan vehicles. Great lease deals as well. It's GrenadaNissanUSA.com. I've got an edition of the Peyton Chatney Show brought to you by The Rogue up uh, on this podcast feed at rebelgrove.com on our YouTube feed. 
It's brought to you by The Rogue. As I said, 4450 I-55 North in Jackson or therogue.com. So without further ado, we'll go to uh, Chase and Ole Miss assistant Carl Lafferty on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. Carl Lafferty now joining us on the Rafters Music and the Food Hotline. Laugh, you're, uh, you're getting packed for Hattiesburg. Yes, you guys are leaving later today, I believe, practicing in Oxford before uh, doing it in Hattiesburg at Southern Miss on Friday. And you have probably have never been happier to, uh, at least hopefully for a couple more weeks, not follow me back on Twitter. you you, you got a couple more weeks <laughs> of isolation, at least, uh, here in you, right? <laughs> I do. Uh, you know, I try uh, – I'll be honest with you, I've, I've got off social media a lot. Um, you know, just in the, the world we live in today, and, uh, you know, it, it makes life a little easier. But uh, you're a tremendous follow during football season. <laughs> I, I, I stay glued. What What do y'all tell the kids about social media? I mean, you uh, know, you've had some dust up some stuff. I mean, it, now more than ever before, kids are all over this stuff. I mean, it's a passionate fan base. It can go both ways. What do you What do you tell the guys? Uh, you know, we try to tell them, and we do it at a, an early stage, but it, it – I don't want to say it hits deaf ears because these kids grew up different than you or I, or social media has been in their life and it's just mm-hmm. ingrained. Um, and a lot of them, you know, we recruit them because they're good players and they've had a lot of accolades and a lot of pats on the back in social media. So there's been some positive feedback, but you and I both know social media is not real life. Um, you know, it's, uh, and we always tell them if you believe it, if you believe what they say when it's going good, then you'll believe what they say when it's going bad mm-hmm. and probably neither are the real truth, you know? Um, so it's hard. It's probably the, the most challenging aspect of a, of a coach's life right now uh, is managing that, you know, managing what's going into their brain and how it impacts them. And it's, it's uh, I mean, you see it all over, like, you know, you saw the, the uh, situation or I'd say situation, what happened with uh, Arkansas's catcher? You know, there was that mm-hmm. social media brouhaha and all that stuff. And uh, now the kid is a, a NIL deal with like a rental company. <laughs> uh, but you, you try to you try to educate them. Um, but as you know, sometimes uh, life's best lessons are learned by living it. And I think some of our kids did. And I think it's probably it sinks in a little more now. You mentioned Arkansas, and credit to you guys for consistency. You had not been in that situation very often over the course of your tenure here. You leave Fayetteville seven and fourteen in the league, knowing that better get to work and better to get to work fast. What was the mood of the team on the way back? What was going on at that moment? Because I mean, seriously, I went back and looked through it. That's that that's the worst you guys had been record wise through twenty one games by far at that point. What was what was sort of the way that they kept going right there at that at, at that moment? Uh, you know. They were crushed. Um, when we played at Arkansas, I left that weekend thinking the the sucky thing about this weekend is we played pretty good. Like we started to play pretty good baseball, and we lost to a good team on the road in their park, which happens in our league all the time. I mean, that's just life in the SEC. But I felt like we were playing better, uh, and our kids were really hurt. Uh, you could tell that they they really felt it. Um, but I give a lot of credit to, to Mike. You know, one of the things through all of this that, that I've learned as a coach and what he has done so well is he kind of puts up the walls and the blinders and, you know, talks about being consistent and talks about, you know, us as a coaching staff, you know, showing up, continuing to coach and have positive energy. And the kids did that. There's a lot of credit that goes to the kids because I think this group, even through its struggles, um, really felt like they were good. 
you know, mm-hmm. and, and felt like they could do it. And I think that's probably why at Arkansas it hurt so much. Um, but it's what allowed them to continue to play through the rest of the season and obviously go off uh, last weekend and have success in a regional. What did you – how did you kill time while you guys were waiting? You get eliminated by Vanderbilt early in the morning on Wednesday, get to Monday winning on selection show. Are you one of these that tries to look around and watch stuff, or are you getting the hell away from it for a few days during that period of time? I try to get away from it, uh, you know, because you'll just drive yourself mad. Um, and what I mean by that is you can go through it and you can think – you can look at RPIs and – you can look at resumes and you can look at conference tournaments. And I'd be less than honest if I didn't say I didn't flip on some stuff and look here and there. Uh, but I didn't immerse myself in it um, because it's just it's it's 10 committee members in a room. Um, there's a million different factors and, and you don't know what they are. And so spending a lot of energy uh, worrying about it or being immersed in it is probably not healthy. So uh, probably, you know, outside of what we were doing as practice wise here, um, I was doing stuff with my kids, uh, trying to kind of keep my mind, keep, and my kids can keep my mind somewhere else. Um, trying to do things like that because uh, you know, again, for all the things we just said, it's uh, it is it's a long time till that selection show on Monday. You guys played so well in Miami. Bullpen was so good. You got enough out of your starter, especially the first day with, with first couple of days with Dylan and Hunter. It, it you know we've seen these selection show things when you guys get in and it's you know you're hosting or whatever, and there's the clap and the applause, but there was some more raw emotion that that, that that day. I mean, it was an opportunity. It was a complete change. How much was it just you guys were playing good anyway? You just lost the game to Vanderbilt, and how much was it that, you know, it was a second chance, and they were really, really locked in last weekend at Coral Gables? Um, I think they were really locked in, and, and I think what you saw in that video, the raw emotion is we were 7-14, and 14, um, mm. and they – battled their butts off to get back and they felt like they were just so close to everything getting resetted back to zero because when you get to postseason it's everybody's on the same playing field it you, you got there you you know you you finally got your head up above water and I think you I think you you saw that in the emotion of the video of the kids on uh, selection day and then I think they just went out and, and played baseball like they've been playing baseball uh, I think you know baseball is not a perfect game, uh, but I think we've been playing much, since that Arkansas series. We've been playing much better baseball, and I think they just kind of kept doing what they've been doing. You talked to Hunter Elliott yesterday, and you don't know exactly what you're getting out of a recruit when he signs. But I've not—I don't know that I've seen a freshman that handles everything, the composure, the getting out of that first inning on Sunday against Miami. When if Yo-Yo hits one out of the yard, there you're probably losing the baseball game there right before they even come to bat. Uh, was there some sign of that? I mean, what were the intangibles here? Because we are talking about a guy that, I mean, you know, I know knock on wood for you guys, but he has not been rattled at any point. I mean, he, and no matter when he's given up runs, he's kind of avoided the inning and stayed in the game. And you were obviously pretty locked into your regional, but you look around the country over the weekend and road teams at host sites, freshmen got really rattled over the weekend. And he was one of the few that really hung in there. And he's done that all season. He's kept you guys in games. No, I think that's the unique thing about him. Um, obviously, he has some some physical gifts, attributes, stuff, et cetera. Um, but the thing that he does, and, and it's it's the hardest thing to figure out in recruiting, but is the biggest indicator or factor of success in a player is their makeup, toughness, competitiveness. And uh, 
I don't know that uh, as a coaching staff we can we can take credit for that. I think that's more of his his mom and dad and him. Um, but he has that. He has the he has a fighter's mentality, like where he is going to go out there and he's going to fight you. He's not going to cave. He's not going to give in. That doesn't mean he's immune from having a good outing or struggling mm-hmm. or giving up hits. But he's just going to not beat himself, and he's going to give you his very best every single time. And that's that's easier said than done. I mean, that's a that's a hard thing to do. Um, but just like you said, man, he's been great at it. Do you ever know until the bullets start flying? I mean, do you even can you have any idea in recruiting that a kid's going to be anywhere near like that at all? You look for you. You always try to go back once you've kind of built a, a catalog of recruiting. You think about okay, this is what uh, Doug Nikhazy looked like in ninth grade, or you know all the other. <laughs> all the other crazy stuff. And you, you try to go, okay, is this what I'm seeing? And you try to hedge your bets along that way. Uh-huh. And there were things about him that you always saw, like you always saw the, the competitiveness. Um, you always saw, I mean, he always performed well, but like I said, you know, that's the hardest thing is most of the time the guys that we recruit perform well, like we don't go, mm-hmm. Hey, this guy's not performing well, let's recruit him. Um, you know, he's, so he's always done that. So you really truthfully don't know until the bullets start flying. Um, and that's what makes that's what makes baseball so unique because it's a, a much different sport than you know, say basketball or football, where the physicality can play such a huge part in their ability to go out on the, the court or field and perform. You can get guys that uh, may just look like average Joes out there, like they're walking down the street, but you put them on a baseball field and they have the ability to perform. And uh, and he's got the he's got the knack for that. So to answer your question specifically, it's more when the bullets start flying. Since May 1st, Mallett struck out 20, a lot of one walk uh, during that that period of time. He's always had stuff. I mean, even last year as a freshman, you can see kind of some raw talent or whatever. But what's 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 clicked? I mean, is it mental? What's, what's been the difference for him over the last two two months, six weeks, ten weeks, whatever it is? I think it's really the breaking ball. Um, he is – he has started to figure out uh, one. He and, and give credit to Malice because he's he's worked at it. He worked at it over last summer. He started to realize, okay, the breaking ball, uh, how he's throwing it, adjusted throwing it, throwing it with intent, arm speed, and and more down. It's become a swing and miss pitch, and I think once that starts happening, and you feel like, hey man, I've got something that they they struggle to hit, and now mm-hmm. I can. You know, I can reach back and throw my fastball 92, 94, 95 miles an hour and really speed them up. You know, you go, okay, I, I'm, I'm kind of figuring out how to get guys out, and that can kind of snowball in a good way. And I think that's what you've seen over the, the last, uh, you know, couple of weeks is he's been able to do that and, and gain confidence and, and keep moving. Is it just location where you miss his pitches? Or are you seeing something different with Derek second time through? Isn't that he gets into that fourth, that fifth? Because his early stats are pretty good. I know he got a couple, couple, couple home runs against uh, against Arizona, but it seems to be a pretty good line of demarcation. What do you kind of see that second time through with Derek? Well, I think it's uh, – the, the one thing about Derek is usually he's – well, obviously he's super competitive uh, and he will throw a lot of strikes. And I think um, with a lot of hitters, and it's just particular, you know, some pitcher – uh, essentially, once they get kind of a, a look at it, um, they can start to get a better feel or better better pass at it. And I think mm-hmm. that's uh, a lot of times. And then sometimes, you know, he would probably say, you know, I didn't make some of the pitches that I wanted to make. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's the answer lies somewhere in both of those um, would be my my most honest and true answer. 
You mentioned mallets with a breaking ball. We talked to Mason Nichols yesterday. He talked about switching, getting rid of some stuff, going from a what he called a high school curveball because it was too loopy and it didn't do enough to a, to a slider. And we've seen that throughout the program over a number of years. A lot of guys switching breaking balls to sliders. You know, Gunner changed up some different things. What goes into that? What, is it more the the quality of the, the of the curveball that dictates it? What, what there's been a lot of changes. What makes guys go from curveballs to sliders, and for you guys to recommend that? Um, well, one, I think it has a lot to do with your fastball too. Um, okay. You know, and uh, and I think uh, the more you get into it, I think you you know uh, a lot has to do with slot. Uh, I think you know probably the opposite of what you're saying is you know Jack Doherty's breaking ball has got a tick softer and tried to add some more depth. Uh, to create more separation from the fastball. And I think you you essentially want to do do a couple, well, one basic thing in pitching. You want to disrupt timing and get guys out. So you either have to have two different pitches that speed them up and slow them down with different movement, or you have to have a pitch that they really don't identify that they swing and miss at. And so, you know, for Mason and Josh, they're throwing pitches that that hitters don't pick up or read well. Um, now you would love to say, well, can't everybody do that? Uh, it's not as, it's, it's, yeah, <laughs> a little easier said than done. Uh, but they've been able to, to find their way to do that. Um, and you know, where Doherty's trying to use his fastball and breaking ball more as, okay, you can't sit on one and handle the other, you know, at like, uh, the, the, the most, uh, devastating, uh, or, or the best example you could ever say was Doug McCasey, meaning, they could see Doug Nikhazy's curveball, but there's no way you could sit back on Doug Nikhazy's curveball and possibly handle his fastball. And there's no way you could get the head out on his fastball and possibly stay back for his breaking ball. So it's kind of two different schools of, of pitching to get the same result. But, you know, Gunner was different. Gunner's slider, when he changed it, because uh, he, he, he really didn't throw a breaking ball until he got to like his senior year of high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't about movement or so much. If you looked at Gunner's, the movement profile of the slider, it didn't break a ton, but what he did do very well is it came down out of his hand. So it wasn't up out of hand. It wasn't identifiable and he could throw it to the bottom glove side at will. So he threw a pitch that wasn't very identifiable uh, to a location that was very hard to hit and he could do it at very consistently. And then he started to pair his fastball that it, it played off of it better instead of being as flat kind of his freshman year, started to have more carry so he could, you know, attack the top and bottom part of the zone. So that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to, hey, how can we take this kid's repertoire pitching and make it the most effective? You know, what goes into that, you know, command, competitiveness, being out there, be able to deliver the pitch, so on and so mm-hmm. forth. But, you know, you talk about Mason Nichols, like I, I walk by him every day uh, and I tell him, like, hey, man, your success isn't a surprise. Like, that kid works his butt off. Like if I'm, if I'm in the hotel gym when we're on the road, that dude's in there uh, going through a lot of mobility stuff, stretching, like he works as hard as any, anybody in our program. So it's, it's neat when you see kids like him start to figure stuff out and uh, have success. When you talk about deception, I mean, is that, is that tunneling? Is it trying to hide arm slots on different things? I mean, what, what sort of goes into that from that standpoint? Uh, it, it's in a way, yes. Yeah. Uh, but I think you start getting specific to, what does this kid do? And I think okay. that's the that's the unique thing about coaching baseball players and human beings is okay. We've got to talk about this particular kid and what his arms, what what he can, what he can't do, and what it looks like. Okay, how do we figure out how to get right-handers out? How do we figure out how to get left-handers out? And then okay, well, 
Uh, and, and part of it, you may have to even save for maybe the fall. Like I, I think, you know, Mason Nichols uh, is really starting to develop a, a changeup, which I think now you start talking about a three pitch mix. It gives you a chance to be a starter. Mm. Um, well, heck, you know that it, but it's not game ready right now. So it's, it's hard to go out there and put him in a pressure situation where he has to come in and make a pitch and throw something that's, you know, <laughs> yeah. But through next fall, it may really turn into a pitch, and that's where that's where you look up and you go, kid like Mason Nichols, he's starting, you know, on the weekend next year and having a great year. How did this happen? Well, it was an evolution of things. I know you're focused on the USM hitters, but we talked about this right before you got started. They've got a lot of arms. They've got a pretty deep uh, bullpen. They do a lot of things with Hall and Waldrop, especially, and then what they've got else. I mean, this is it's an SEC rotation, right? Oh yeah. Uh, it's as good a pitching staff as out there. Like, you know, I mean, I think about, you know, pitching staffs in our league and, and probably Tennessee sits at the top of it. Uh, Southern Miss, if you stack them up physically, they'd be right behind them. Um, it's a it's a really, really good pitching staff, not only from the starting pitching, but from the pieces that they have in the pen and being able to match up with you with some left-handers and some right-handers and some guys that have really good stuff and have had a lot of success. Um, so you give them a lot of credit. Uh, their pitching staff is is uh, one that you know anybody would take. Man, they're they're terrific. What's the key for Delusia on Saturday? Um, you know, when he really gets into a rhythm and just starts making pitches, because uh, he's a three pitch mix guy. Um, where he gets in a little bit of trouble is uh, if he gets frustrated or if he starts trying to do too much and he starts making mistakes or getting behind in counts or feels like he can't count on one of his pitches that's where it kind of comes apart for him. But the the thing about him is, you know, you talk about Hunter Elliott, it's the same way with Dylan, man. He's a fighter. Like he loves to be out there. He loves to compete. Um, and that is uh, one of the the best attributes that he has. But for him, the, the, the simple secret to success is just a pitch, not to get frustrated and trying to throw at 95, not to get into two strike counts and overthrow his breaking ball and, you know, spike it or bounce it or miss it up arm side where they can get a good swing off of it just to be him and execute pitches. It's been a year since they really got started. I know you're about to get into this portion. Hopefully, like I said, you're playing, but you're already getting into look next season a little bit. Learn anything different about the transfer portal <laughs> since last year? I mean, wait, what's the – I mean, I, I, I know it's a crapshoot, uh, but, like, what's the what, – is there any strategy difference compared to a year ago? Uh, yes. You, the thing you learn about the transfer portal is it goes fast. It's not like you got to get in there and you got to go. And now a lot of times some of these kids will enter the portal with a real idea of what's going on. And it's not this, uh, lengthy recruiting process. Um, so you got to be aggressive and you got to, but it's just, uh, it is so scattered. It is so random. Um, there's obviously differences like you're talking about process. You're not talking about a 10th grader figuring out where he wants to go to school. This is a kid that's been in a division one university and now he's looking to go somewhere else for some other reason. So uh, one, you need to you know figure out if uh, those things align with what you're looking for. And sure. then the physical side of it, which is a little bit easier with technology and synergy and track man and uh, and just sheer stats. Uh, it makes it a little easier to to figure out the the skill component of it, but it's uh, man, it's the wild wild west um, with NIL and and stuff out there. And, and baseball is way different. It's not sure. football is the beast, and it should be. It is the it's the king of the hill. Uh, and so there's parts of it in baseball. Um, maybe 
you never know what's a uh, fact or fiction with baseball, you know, because it's uh, baseball is just a different deal. You don't know if some of these NIL deals are real. Uh, some of them aren't. Um, it's just, uh, uh, man, it's an ever change. Every day is an adventure, dude. Uh, every day is an adventure. You've got a draft coming up. You've got Parrish, you got Anthony, you got all these guys that go different directions. How the hell do you know how much money you have to offer kids in the portal? How do you manage a roster? You don't guess uh, to a point. Yeah. yeah, to a point. I mean, it's educated, but I mean, you're it's yeah. it, eh? it, it's uh, it, man. Um, probably about August fifth, I will. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have no hair. Uh, <laughs> I'll probably have less. Uh, but it's it's uh, it's a when I say it's a broken system, uh, it's just set up in a very poor way because uh, you're talking about okay, kids have to be in the transfer portal by July one but the draft's not till mid or late July. So we're not fortune tellers. We don't know exactly what's going on. Now we educate ourselves and we, we have educated guesses, but it's, it's hard. It's really, really hard. And at the end of the day, you want to be able to field a competitive team. You know, that's what your, your fans, your university, like it's what you're supposed to do. And it's just hard to know. So um, you just go out there and recruit as hard as you can, as best you can try to make sure that you fill the needs and, uh, you know, good fortune and luck. That's that's always nice too, especially when it comes to the draft. Well, yeah, I mean it's broken because I mean he he's a guy who you know left he left Ole Miss, but there's no reason in the world Plumley should have had to sit out for baseball after not no. being in the portal the July before that. No, we I mean, that, that that's an impossibility. No, we didn't want him to sit out. Like we yeah, were sure. as, a, as a baseball staff, you know, we loved that kid and we wanted to try to help him. We would have loved for him to play at UCF, but it was out of our hands. Uh, we would have kindly written any waiver or done anything we could, um, you know, because that, yeah, again, like what you're saying, like you want that kid to be able to compete, um, you know, the, the window that you have to play college athletics, uh, while COVID has increased that for a lot of people, it usually is small, uh, in comparison to your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's just, you know, there's a lot of things that, that don't make sense or don't add up. And, uh, when you start talking about student athlete welfare and, and things like that, you know, I think there's some, some issues to be addressed. And I, I, I think in, in all fairness, the hardest thing is each sport has its own unique niche. And it's uh, I think it's really hard to create rules that overlap over all of them. I've got a couple of theories. I mean, a lot of arms still went that were elite. You've got a lot of experienced hitters like Elko back because of COVID. Frankly, some people think the balls are a little juiced. Why is everything so offensive right now? Uh, I think there's – this is, again, my opinion. Yeah, I don't know sure. the fact. Uh, I think there's a combination of things. What I don't know that the ball is any different. I would guess that the ball may be a little different because I feel like the ball changes all the time. Uh, that's just – I have no scientific data to back that up. That's just being around the game. But I think that these are the things that I do think are true. Um, I think pitchers continue to get drafted at a, a high rate out of college, and you're looking at lineups where you have guys that are much older. Like you start looking at the average age and average amount of at bats in college lineups. Like old is good. Old is usually successful. You don't want to be mm-hmm. young. Uh, and that just when you start going transfer portal, so on and so forth. The other thing that uh, you know people aren't talking about, and I think you know this probably from you know covering college baseball, is strike zones are getting smaller. Uh, mm-hmm. That's a fact because these these umpires are now being graded on by trackman reports and so they're starting to not necessarily strength the strike zone, shrink the strike zone but you know pitches that when you know i was playing that were always strikes that were six and seven inches off where guys are just like 
you know, no way I can hit that. Like those are balls and you're getting a, a not necessarily the strike zone that you see when you flip up a flip on a major league game. Uh, you don't necessarily get the high strike as much in college, but the East and West, you know, the ball that's off the plate is not being called a strike as much. So you're starting to make, you know, you're still drafting, you know, pitchers out that are obviously the, the better ones are going at a younger age, no matter COVID or not. Uh, college hitters are getting older because, you know, there's a certain profile that, you know, pro baseball looks for as far as athletes. Mm-hmm. Well, they're becoming 22, 23, heck, even 24-year-old guys in lineups, and they're just physical, strong. They have a ton of at-bats. And now you're forcing them, to, you know, pitchers to throw it in a smaller box, you know, that all kind of adds up to being more offensive. That's got to change how you call the game a little bit too, right? Because, I mean, you can't call the six-inch off the plate as often because nobody's swinging at it and it's not a strike. I mean, you're no longer yeah. getting – that type of either the call because it hits the mitt, but you're out, but nobody's waving at it either. I would think at the same clip. Right. I think the only time that you're doing that now is, uh, is you're trying to really set up like, Hey, I want to, I want him to kind of lean because I'm going to bust him back in. I think you've seen guys start to pitch um, more North South, you mm-hmm. know, try to try to, you know, cause guys will still chase up, but it's hard to get a guy to chase off and up if that makes sense. So you're starting to see people try to go more north-south, which also creates more swings and misses, um, but also can give up more home runs. You know, that's kind of the the high vertical break, breaking ball guy can get more swing and misses, but they also will give up more homers. Uh, The sinker slider guy is going to give up more contact, but typically give up less home runs because it's more of a a ground ball oriented approach. So you may give up more hits, more contact, but mm-hmm. maybe less homer. So there's always the give and take with all of it. Um, but I think to your point, yeah, I mean, you know, people are starting to, you know, uh, get away from that a little bit. It's every single single season, every time you get into this. But you kind of last thing, you, you've told me every time we've talked for months now how much you like these teams, this group of kids, the way they handle their business and overcoming – little extra emotion going on this weekend, a little extra want for, for these guys more than anything else, just for, for everything that, you know, versus some of the teams where have been you know, kind of front running the whole time through. Yeah. Um, uh, like I love these guys. Um, yeah. They are, uh, they're really good kids. Um, they didn't fold when the world told them to. Uh, that's something you got to respect. That's something you got to like, and that's something you got to appreciate. I mean, you know, uh, you, as a coach, you get attached, good, bad, or indifferent, it's just human interaction. Um, but, like, these are all kids that, like, show up at my kid's birthday party just because mm-hmm. they're good dudes. Um, and they're good players. And, and you credit them, uh, you know, top to bottom for continuing to go at it. Because I think about when I was a player, because uh, you always go back to your own personal exp- or, uh, experiences. I-, I didn't live with the stuff that they live with. Um mm-hmm when the game was over, if we got booed or people made fun of us at the game, we left and that was the end of it. You know, they live with it every day because of the device they have in their hand and the the criticism. And, and part of it is self-inflicted because of the way they consume information with social media, but it doesn't make it any easier. Um, so for these kids to show up like they, like they did every single day, um, even after uh, starting off seven and 14 in the league and, and feeling like they you know, been run over by a truck after the Arkansas weekend. They always showed up, man. Uh, I think as a human being, uh, you know, all the lessons we want to teach our kids about life is, you know, the ability to get back up and just keep showing up and keep pushing forward. And, 
you know, keep doing it with a joy for being around each other. Uh, yeah. That's why like for me, um, honestly, I, I, you know, you want to win just for them, um, that they take, you know, life is never fair, but like somewhat that they are, they are rewarded even more for their perseverance. Um, that's just being honest. Good luck, bud, this weekend. Appreciate the uh, the time, and let's uh, let's talk afterward. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate it. That was Chase Parham, Carl Lafferty. Appreciate uh, Carl for his time. Earlier today, the Rebels probably on their way as we speak at 7, 12 p.m. on their way to Hattiesburg. They practiced in Oxford today. They were leaving for Hattiesburg. They've got a practice and media day tomorrow or Friday in Hattiesburg, and then they get started on Saturday with uh, Super Regional Best of Three, Saturday, Sunday, if necessary, on Monday. A handful of other series begin uh, on Friday, four series precisely. Four on Friday, four on Saturday. So uh, we'll know the field by the end of the day on Monday, the eight teams that are headed to Omaha for the College World Series. Um, real quick, I want to tell you that we're brought to you by Service Specialist. Whether you are looking for a job, whether you are looking to hire quality, hard-to-find talent. Service specialists can help you. Keep in mind that payment of service is solely contingent on if you decide to hire a candidate that they send. You have nothing to lose, so give Will, Sydney, or Kelsey a call 662-832-5138 or check out their new and improved website, servicespecialistltd.com. Don't just accept what you see, but imagine something new. Step forward, chase after a better version of yourself Every day, Corinth Dentals, helping people reinvent themselves one smile at a time. Dr. Bubba McQueen, Dr. Jenny Beth Hendrick are devoted to restoring and enhancing the natural beauty of your smile using conservative, state-of-the-art procedures, including Invisalign. They have a 12-month, no interest, no down payment financing available at CorinthDental.com. Also brought to you by Bell & Grove. It's a logistics provider based out of Chattanooga. They specialize in domestic freight movement throughout the continental U.S. They also provide air and ground expedited services for customers who need to move product quickly. For more information, call Daryl Oliver, 865-672-6557. And we're brought to you by Southern Traditions Farm. It's a 68-acre, 32-stall, upscale equestrian training and boarding facility in Canton, Mississippi. It's... uh, Camp season there at Southern Traditions Farm. So get in touch with uh, Susan Walt, Bowers Cone via Facebook or Instagram at Southern Traditions Farm Camps Monday through Friday, 830 to 2 there at Southern Traditions Farm. Uh, earlier on, I guess earlier in the week, it's late Wednesday, I think, I talked to Outkicks Trey Wallace about uh, the college baseball regionals coming up. Five SEC teams uh, still alive. Ole Miss, obviously, Tennessee. Auburn, Texas A&M, and Arkansas all still alive. So we touch on those super regionals. We also talk about some of the uh, NIL scheduling topics that came out of SEC spring meetings in Destin a week ago. Uh, Trey was in Destin, so we talked to him about that as well. Here's Trey Wallace of Outkick on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. My friend Trey Wallace of Outkick, kind enough to uh, spend some time with us here on the podcast. Um, we'll start with college baseball. I want to get to some football stuff, some scheduling stuff. You were in Destin. I kind of want to get some thoughts on what happened there. But five SEC teams in uh, in Super Regionals, including one that I know you're based in Knoxville. You see a lot, Tony Vitello's Tennessee Volunteers. Can anyone beat Tennessee? Yeah, yeah, Neil, I, I think they can. I think when you look at what happened this past weekend where 
you know, two consecutive games, you know, they're, they're trailing four to nothing. And, and I think that, you know, uh, the pitching got a little bit overwhelming for both Campbell and Georgia Tech. Um, and I think Tennessee is just, you know, they, they get those spurts on offense where all of a sudden, you know, Jordan Beck pops in or Drew Gilbert and changes the game completely. But I, I, I think, I think a team can beat them. They've got to take, you know, Beck out of his element. Um, they got to get to the pitching. I think you saw that with, with Drew Beam. Um, he only went around three innings. Um, this past weekend uh, for Tennessee, he kind of struggled. So Tennessee had to go to the bullpen. Um, there are ways that, that teams can get after this squad, and it's going to be all about how they attack, you know, the, the, the pitching rotation to get Tennessee into the pen. You know, because, you know, Ben Joyce can only throw 105 miles per hour for maybe one game. You know, out of a weekend, I don't know if they're going to do that twice. Um, so, you know, I look at things overall, and I, I think this Tennessee squad, after watching them all season, three consecutive games this past weekend, I, I think there's a team that can beat them. I don't know if it's Notre Dame, but there are some teams out there I watched um, that could get them in Omaha. So, with Tennessee, what's interesting is that, that it's such a good team. They're loaded with talent. He's done a great job of accumulating talent there. Yet, the what gets kind of the People talking is the antics, the the running around the bases with your middle finger extended, the whole deal. It's it's the how fiery they get when someone dares challenge them back, right? It, it, yeah. It, is that all part of the aura of them, or is it beginning to go too far? I think okay. For, I think going around the bases with your middle finger in the air is uh, that's too far. I mean, let, let let's be honest. Yeah, uh, of course. I didn't even I didn't even catch it like when it happened like at the stadium because I wasn't paying attention to that I wasn't paying attention to the runner going around the bases, but I was paying attention to the whole entire dugout you know uh, the, all the guys running out and jumping up and down jubilation whatever and and I think that when you look at it it's it's a buildup of things if if it just happened one time and Jordan Beck had just done that one time rounding the bases we. It would be different. That would be okay. Emotions got to him, and he handled the wrong way. But I think when you look at this squad overall and the way that they react to certain things, it feels like a wrestling faction is the best way that I've I've, I've always put it all season. They feel like the NWO from wrestling, where they don't care. They're going to go out. They're going to act the way that they want to act, and they're going to piss off a lot of people. Uh, I think that. It's it, two things are going to happen. Either they're going to roll all the way to Omaha, acting like that, and win the whole damn thing, or they're just going to get lambasted once they lose, and it's all just going to come back and hit them in the face. Well, that is true. We were earlier in the week we were talking on our podcast about how the rest of the country is now cheering against Tennessee. I mean, they have become the evil empire sort of team in, in college baseball, which I, frankly is probably good for the sport. In terms right. of marketing the sport, to have a team that everybody collectively can get together and hate, but the, the, but I'm inter- but I'm interested though, Neil. Also, is like when does when do the networks fully embrace this thing? And I think they're waiting until Omaha. I think because it'll give them like the perfect storyline. Okay, it's Tennessee versus the world. Yep. Everybody hates Tennessee. All the fan bases hate Tennessee. And I think if you get to that point, okay, you know, now you change the dynamic of a broadcast up and whatnot. But I think so far, like overall in the season, it's just they don't care. 
it comes from Tony, you know, it, it, it's not just the players in the dugout saying, okay, this is how we're going to act and whatnot. It comes off Tony. Tony's that brash Italian type of guy, and he just doesn't care. And you've seen that when he, you know, he's talking to opposing coaches or he's yelling at an umpire or whatnot. And for some reason, it's clicked this year with that emotion. Last year was kind of different. You didn't see this type of like, like you saw the daddy hat and all that type of stuff, but you didn't see the brashness of a team. This year, it's completely different. You know, when you got Drew Gilbert, Jordan Beck in there, uh, you know, Trey Lipscomb, you got guys coming off the mound, and they, it feels like they're just pissed off against everybody in the world, and it shows on the baseball field. It's um, it's different than what I've covered in college baseball and college athletics in the past. If I told you a team in addition to Tennessee gets to Omaha out of the SEC, which one would you first point to? What do you what do you think of these other four? Super regionals involving SEC teams. And Ole Miss is going to be tough down in Hattiesburg. That's going to be tough. I, I if there were also if there was one environment, if Tennessee wasn't playing this weekend, they're playing on the road. I would be down in Hattiesburg watching that, just because of how crazy that's going to be. Um, I, I I think right now, I think it, it it's probably Arkansas, and I'm not just saying that. Just saying, I, I feel like they can have offensive explosions. Um, I think that. When you look at the pitching-wise, um, for them to be able to get out of that regional compared, and especially what it was yeah. with Oklahoma State and how that was played, it just kind of feels like Arkansas is playing good baseball at the right time coming off a season, a regular season, where they looked mediocre at times. And it was like, okay. Most of the what, time. Right, most of the time. And it's like, what? okay, something flipped. Okay, did it happen in Hoover, you know, when, when, when they lost or something? But – but then you think about it even more, and it's like, okay, you get into postseason play, and something else is hit with Dave Van Horn and his squad. Um, I, I I like Arkansas if they can get out of you know their their super regional, and having to go play the Tar Heels, it's not like it's going to be easy. But I think right now my two teams, if they can get on runs, because it would be very magical. Like I know what Auburn's doing, you know, and, and I get that part. But if, if Ole Miss can get out of Hattiesburg with the lineup that they have hitting-wise and just get to Omaha, man, anything can happen. And sure. that's why they've caught me off guard. The Rebels have, Black Bears, whoever the hell you want to call them. They've caught me off guard, and, and it's fun to watch. I love watching Elko, and I love watching what this pitching staff uh, can do last weekend in, in their regional, um, having to face so many different – problems down there in, in Coral Gables. So, I, I, you know, to me, it, it feels like Arkansas won. And then, you know what, if Ole Miss gets out of Hattiesburg, damn, they'll be prepared for anything. Yeah, I think with Ole Miss, it's when you think you're done, and I think they probably thought they were done, that, you know, they lost in Hoover on Tuesday and had the long wait where you're sitting around and you're practicing, but you're like, guys, what are we doing? And, and, and then you get life. Sometimes, man, it's just yeah. so rejuvenating, you know, and, and then they go and, and they, they got they got the timely hit from the bottom of the order on on Saturday night. And then on Sunday, they they won a pitcher's duel or Elko got the big hit late in the game. To, to, and then they just dominated on, on Monday. And, and now I think, yeah, like you said, I think they're like, hey, we can do this. We 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 thought we were dead. Turns out we weren't. And you mentioned Arkansas. I think with them, it's pretty simple, Trey. It's they needed some rest. They needed to get. They needed to stop playing. They they finished the season playing so badly, 
and they got a break. And then I can't remember who it was they played in their first game, Grand Canyon, I guess. Um, yeah. They got a timely hit, and they hadn't been getting timely hits. And it was like they got one, and then someone got another one, and then before you know it, it becomes contagious. And I thought for them to overcome the losing on, when was it, Sunday night to Oklahoma State when the left fielder falls down, um, to lose like that and then to come back the next night in that environment and win probably bodes well for them. I, I kind of agree with you. I know Chase, my colleague, he picked uh, North Carolina in that super regional. And I think I'm picking Arkansas. And I'm picking Ole Miss. I think Ole Miss gets out of Hattiesburg. I do. I think with the Ole Miss thing, I, I agree with you completely. It's like, you know, you're, you're, you leave Hoover and you're back in Oxford. You're just hanging around. Yeah, okay, let's stretch. Let's practice. Man, we don't really know if we're going to get in or not. You know, it's going to be kind of close. There's conversations about Bianco. And all of a sudden, you know, like you, you see that selection show, they get word, bam, okay, cool, we're in. Wow. Okay. You know, this feeling in my body, life is within us now. Sure. Like, let's go do something. I think that goes a long ways. And I think that can't be forgotten with this baseball team because a lot of people thought they were dead and gone three weeks left in the regular season, you know, and then, you know, they kind of slowly start playing better. And then then all of a sudden they just, they hit it. And I think that's the biggest thing with Ole Miss is that they're riding a high right now, and I want to see how high, you know, that can take them. All right, I want to switch to football in the last few minutes that I have with you um, and, and just the SEC in general. You were at the spring meetings in Destin. I know everyone was there waiting for the Jimbo Fisher-Nick Saban battle royale, which anybody who knew anything about the league and Greg Sankey knew that was not going to happen. Yeah. Um <laughs> There, it, it didn't appear to be like a lot of fireworks or anything. There never are really in Destin. It's kind of laid back. But there's a lot of talk about the scheduling thing. Do you think it's inevitable that there's a 3-6 schedule, that it's just a matter of kind of giving everybody time to get it, to accept it? Or do you think there's even a scenario where the 1-7 thing happens? I mean, I think we understand, you know, who would like the 1-7, the, the you know, scenario out of all this. There's There's a certain amount of schools. You know, they, they want to keep that permanent non-con uh, rival. But uh, just talking with different folks and, and even after leaving Destin, you know, and, and speaking with a few athletic directors about this, it just feels like that nine game is coming. And they're going to have to – there's going to have to be tough decisions to be made uh, when it comes to that because, you know, you're, you're, you're setting up your three permanents, you know, and who are those permanents going to be? Um, you know, let – I'll take, I, I spoke with somebody in Tennessee and their conversation with me is like, okay, we're going to have to make a decision. Like every year we would get regularly and knowingly Florida, Georgia, Alabama. And some of those times we would get those two big games at home. Okay. So it's going to be interesting if we have to make a decision, like right, we're going to have to go with Alabama, Florida, or and then we'll have to go with maybe Missouri and Vanderbilt or Kentucky. Like you're taking away potential and not saying that they can't get rotated into those other games. But what I am saying is you're taking away that automatically knowing every year you're getting these three games, no matter what. And that's big from a ticket revenue standpoint. Um, that, that's just big from a rivalry standpoint. So you look at other schools as well, what they have. I think it makes sense to me that if you go with the nine games, you're setting yourself up where, okay, we can rotate the others, and then we can find three permanents that ever – look, they're going to all have to sit down somewhere in Birmingham, 
and they're going to have to hash out. Okay, these are the, the these are three we would like to play. Okay, now SEC, y'all go figure out what you're going to agree to let us play. Right. And I think that's going to be the hard part out of all of this when it comes to it, because I, I think we are getting to that point. I think it's going to come sooner rather than later, where decisions are going to be have to be made, Neil, that are going to piss off a lot of people in the Southeastern Conference, but they're just going to have to deal with it because they're trying to, in my opinion, in, in, in asking a, a couple people about this part too, trying to get all this done for this big contract with ESPN starts. Like that's the biggest thing too. Of like, course. Yeah, get this schedule. You, you know what? You know what? ESPN slash Disney slash whatever want. They want more games. Yeah, ex- exactly. In Texas and Oklahoma, have been in on, on the conversations. Now they weren't there in Destin and whatnot. But I promise you, at night, I'm sure Greg Sankey or somebody is calling Texas and Oklahoma and letting. Okay, this is what happened. This is what's going on. This is the feel out right now, and we'll keep you abreast of the situation. Um, and and look, they. I don't know if, if a vote is going to be there for them, but I promise you they will have their feelings known towards this because they are bringing a different power punch to the conference whenever they get in. And sure, like somebody said to me, you know, they were talking about, okay, what's the, what's the timeline for Oklahoma and Texas to get in? Do you think the, the SEC is going to have to wait all these years? And then I talked to somebody from ESPN. They're like, you know what? We would really like to have Texas and Oklahoma in the conference when we launch our new contract with the SEC. Like, it, you know, we don't want to have to wait a year. Like, we already launched our contract. We don't have to want to have to wait another year for Texas and Oklahoma to join. And that starts in the 24 season, correct? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's they have, to, they have to wait a year. That's when Texas and Oklahoma are joining. You know. Exactly. In 23, the Pac-12 Bill of Rights, I mean, grant of rights and the TV contract expire. I mean, yeah. no one – why no one is talking about this more is beyond me. Um, Pete Thamel, to his credit, has twice written these big picture stories, and he mentions he drops that paragraph into both of those uh, stories. He's not doing it to get to a word count, Trey. He's he's doing it because he's hearing something. He's hearing something that I started hearing a year ago, about this time, about USC, Arizona State, that they might be interested in doing something because they, they see the pieces of pie that Tennessee is getting, that Ole Miss is getting, that Florida is getting. They would like a similar piece of that pie. Um, do you think that one of the storylines that we're kind of missing here is that it's not just Texas and Oklahoma joining the league soon? Yeah, I agree completely. That's not. I mean, look at the amount of money that, that the Southeastern Conference is getting. Look at what the Big Ten is about to go negotiate with a new contract when it comes to their money. Um you look at USC and they're sitting out there on the West Coast. Okay, that's fine. They're sitting out in LA, but they're surrounded by scrubs. I mean, okay, Oregon, Oregon is a Oregon's a brand, you know, you can get behind. But let's be honest, the rest of that conference is not. And if they want to go so-called Hollywood, you know, and, and change the game when it comes to what USC athletics is, they're gonna to have to do something different. Because the Pac-12 is not bringing them the exposure. Like, it could be USC all you damn want, but you're still in the Pac-12 conference, and you still have that horrible television contract. And who do you want coming to your place, Cal and Utah or Alabama and Florida? Exactly. I, I mean, to me, I, I, don't, I don't know why this never gets traction anywhere. It's almost like it's such a 
And I think it's our field, man. I think there's so many people in our field that are sort of traditionalists, for lack of a better word. I'm not making fun, but that no, they yeah. just they just don't they don't see where this is going. And 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 to me, it seems somewhat inevitable. I mean, the Pac-12 is just going to expire. And if you're USC, you're not going to say, "I tell you what, we'll re up, we'll get our 17 million a year." It's cool with us that Mississippi State's getting 62 million. We're cool. That's cool. Who, who, who would sit in that room and say, yeah, yeah, that's what we should do? I mean, instead you're going to say, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious. The Big Ten's going to add Oregon and probably Washington. The SEC, I think, is going to add USC and somebody. And yeah. then ESPN and Fox are going to say, that's cool with us, more games. And and the, what happens to the rest of the country is what happens. I don't know. They're going to need to start figuring it out. I think the biggest thing is when you look around and USC sitting there looking around, they're in the conference room and they're talking about television revenue and what's being broken up. And I, and I agree with you. Okay, wait a minute. Vanderbilt got how much? Okay, that's interesting. All right, well, look at us. We're building a bigger and better USC. We've got Lincoln Raleigh out here. We're going to be fighting for national championships or hoping to in the next sure. four to five years. Sure. And we're still sitting out here on the West Coast and we're getting nine o'clock games at night. We're not getting any prime time. The only prime time, you know, we they really get is if they come out here towards the east or they play Notre Dame and NBC picks it up for some kind of, you know, 7 o'clock kickoff or whatnot. They're sitting out there and they're, they're being wasted. Let's be honest. If, and, and I'll say this, too. Like, the old USC with Helton and all that stuff, okay, you can have that. Like, whatever. That That is not valuable to any other conference. But – Lincoln Riley, the amount of money that they're willing to spend to upgrade facilities and this new persona of USC, that is valuable to conferences. And that's something they can get behind. Yeah, and that's something that that Disney, ESPN, Fox, whoever, they want that. I mean, of course. I mean, I mean, you Absolutely. know, I mean, a Saturday afternoon LSU at USC game in primetime. I mean, yeah, who they would everybody would want that. Who, who doesn't watch that? Who doesn't watch Oklahoma, USC? Um, you know, USC goes to Texas or USC goes to Auburn or, or I mean. Those... My biggest thing, we can't be surprised anymore either. We're, right. we're not going to be surprised anymore because look what happened you know, a year and a half ago with Texas and Oklahoma where it's all of a sudden, bam, okay, we're joining the conference. And look how quick that happened. Yeah. Like that's the big thing. So you can't be surprised anymore. And with the television contracts and what ESPN is going to be giving, um, you know, I just I wrote about it today and it was something different. But like LSU has launched a, a streaming service um, and, and, and they're going to do, you know, $8.99 a month and you get behind the scenes stuff and whatnot. Arkansas has been doing this with Hog Plus. Yeah. Clemson's got it. Oklahoma State's got it. What I'm saying is, oh, that's Bo Mattingly's deal, right? At, at, right. That, yeah. yeah, that's Bo Mattingly's deal. And, yeah. But what I'm getting at is they have found different ways to try to garner revenue. And it's because of, look at LSU and what they have now with Brian Kelly. They have something to sell, so they're putting it out there for sale. And, I, and, and it's just another avenue. It's not coming from the SEC network. This is them doing it on their own. So what I'm getting at as a whole is, when you see these big time programs doing this, don't be surprised if USC launches something like this because it's bringing more attention to what is being put out there in the college football world, and that's why it's not going to surprise me. You know, when when they when they finally start sitting down and thinking, okay, look how much money we're losing compared to these other schools, they're going to be like, well, damn this, 
We're not doing it anymore. You guys can't afford us anymore, so we're going to go find somebody that can't afford us. I started with Jimbo and, and uh, Nick. I'll finish with, with Jimbo. Uh, you were there. I thought Jimbo had some interesting things to say. Um, after everybody got through asking if he and Nick were going to fight, yeah, no. uh, they, you know, he talked about he was the chairman of the thing and all that stuff. And he talked about how they, everybody agreed that they've got to get something uniform on NIL got to be, I think he used the word concrete. There's got to be something that's not malleable and pliable. There's got to be a rule. You were around all those people and you know, a lot of people you've done a great job building your career. When you talk to some of these people away from the microphone, does anybody have any clue how, I mean, what Jimbo said is true. That's what you'd love to do. But getting there is a completely different thing. And I don't, I don't have yet to hear anyone come up with a plan that makes sense, that is applicable, that would accomplish that goal. What, I, what I'm tired of hearing is that over the last couple of weeks, it's been, okay, we've got to wait for federal legis- legislation. Got to wait for federal legislation. And it seems like that's their go-to little remark. Yeah. Um, and I noticed that. And even with talking with people off the record, like, you know, with coaches and ADs and people involved in programs, like they're sitting out here and they're just kind of wailing around because they have a system right now. There's two things. They have a system right now that they can take advantage of if they have the right amount of money at their school. So in, at first glance, they're like, okay, we kind of like what, is going on let's not make this all public that we love that we have this much amount of money and can get all these players in but also yeah no we agree at the same time that there needs to be something different and we need to change things so you've got coaches that are out there that are proclaiming yes let's get something done and let's go to congress and 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 you know what we got to figure out a way to slow this thing down but on the inside, they're like, <laughs> we got you guys for the time being. We're yeah. going to spend a lot of money on recruits. If you're Jimbo Fisher, why would you want the system to change? You, you don't. You have to. I, I, you're having to draw that company line. Yeah. And be like, yeah, no, we want something to change. We do. But we're not going to sit here and be the ones that are going to change it. You guys got to come up with something. Like, if, we, if y'all want to sit down and vote on something or we want to talk Talk about some kind of legislation that would work for the conference. Okay, we'll talk about that. But here's the thing, Neil. These guys know that it's not coming anytime soon. So they're good with what we have right now. And and, and for the Tennessees out there that have come on out of nowhere with NIL, uh, with A&M, you know, Florida's building up a collective. You know, a lot of schools are doing this thing yeah. right now. And, I, and I'm leaving out some big names. Sure. Georgia, Alabama, what you know. But – I think that they're okay with how things are going right now, but they're acting like they're not in public. That's the biggest thing to me. Is I think it's two-faced a little bit. I said this earlier in the week about Jaden Rashada. Ole Miss is, they uh, committed his brother, the, the junior college defensive back, and you know, obviously it keeps them in the game, and, and they're trying to get Jaden Rashada. And I made the comment, look, you're either, you're either swimming in these waters now or you're not. And if you're not, you're not winning. And if you are, well, you're giving yourself a chance to win. But if you're, if you're going to say, hey, this is – and I'll give Lane Kiffin credit. He has said this consistently. If, if, if you're going to say, hey, we're, 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 we want to be a power, we want to contend with the big boys, well, then that means that you are playing the big money NIL stuff right now. I mean, give 
people like to pick on Tennessee on the Nico Iamaliva thing, and I'm the exact opposite. I'm like, good for them. That was smart. I mean, they got it done, and and you know, and 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 he's 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 committed. He's going to be their guy. And, and people go, well, what happens if he busts? He busts. He busts. That he wastes the money. It happens. But what happens if he doesn't bust? What happens I mean, if he doesn't bust? And, and, and the thing is, is you're either going after the high-profile kids who everybody else is after, and, yes, some of those will bust. Shea Patterson busted in, in Oxford. He did. It happens. But for every one of the big-time quarterbacks that bust, three or four don't. Yeah, I can also find you three or four defensive linemen that don't. Robert Candice, if we really want to keep talking about Ole Miss and that squad back in the day, you know. Yeah. I'm just in in general, and I'm saying that it, Lane Kiffin is doing a very good job of talking like and how he's talking in public, but he also understands that this is the game that we're in, and Lane Kiffin's a very very smart guy. Okay. Yeah. He knows what has to happen when it comes to NIL. And I think that when you look at it overall, okay, a school like Tennessee spending that amount of money. Well, hell, Ryan Day came out last week and said they needed $13 million for their class. Like, what are we really talking about here? Like, if you know, if we're really getting on to folks, if we're really like, okay, you're pointing the finger at some schools, but then other schools are saying, well, this is how much money we need you know, to keep a recruiting class or have a class come in, guys, this is a free-for-all. So just get used to it. And if you've got the bucks to do it, now here's what I think what scares people and freaks people out, and you know this, everything was so under the table. Everything was meeting at, at in hotel parking lots or hotel rooms or dropping off this and this and that. And now it's so out in the open. I think it kind of freaks people out a little bit, and, and they don't like that. And a lot of the old guard coaches – they would like to go back to what they were doing before and how they were doing it and not getting in trouble. But now that it's out in the open that some of these players are coming and you start to hear figures and whatnot, it freaks them out a little bit. Which is understandable. It is. The quiet part starts getting said out loud. And and that makes right. people uncomfortable, especially some of the traditionalists that were like, what I really love about the college game is the amateurism and the guy that goes to Florida goes to Florida because he loves Florida. Right, it hadn't really been that way in a while. I mean, not I, the eighty thousand dollars that was dropped off at his house two days before he. And, and now you don't have to drop the eighty thousand dollars off. Now you just you cut a deal and you call it nil, even though it's really pay for play. And you say, hey, the price tag to for you know, like Ryan Day said, the price tag for a big time quarterback is two million dollars. Okay, who would have, who would have thought we'd have got to the day where the bag men are in the unemployment line? I know. Go figure. Not when you and I were back in Mobile uh, <laughs> doing doing radio shows where the yeah yeah I know, I know. Yeah, no kidding. We, we did some shows that I'm surprised it didn't get us fired that day. Um, well, hey, listen, I really appreciate the time. Uh, congrats again on on all the work you're doing, uh, and and I know you'll be heading out to Omaha soon. So we'll hopefully catch up with you then at that point. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, brother. I always appreciate it. All right, Trey. That was Trey Wallace. Thanks for his time uh, earlier this week. So, again, Ole Miss and Southern Miss starting on Saturday afternoon. We'll have coverage at rebelgrove.com throughout the course of the weekend. And in the event that Ole Miss wins the Super Regional, punches its ticket to Omaha, whether that is on Sunday or Monday, we'll have a a hand-raised guys brought to you by the College Corner immediately following the end of that game. I'll come on. I'll take calls, talk to you guys for a while. As soon as Chase is ready, he'll join in as well. And uh, we'll stay for a while. 
And in the event that that doesn't happen, we'll have a uh, Tuesday morning Oxford Exxon podcast we'll, where we will talk about what it all means. So, again, thanks to Trey. Thanks to Ole Miss assistant coach Carl Lafferty for their time today on Hand Raise Guys. This will be the Friday Oxford Exxon podcast. Uh, so thanks to those guys. Thanks to you guys for in the thread. Thanks to everyone who makes us a part of your day, a part of your week. We certainly appreciate it. We look forward to visiting with you again soon. For uh, Chase Parham, I'm Neil McCready. Take care. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.